before the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, Congress yay, shall make oh, no law yay, respecting an establishment yay, of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Hello and welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast about educating and empowering the student journalism community about press law and ethics. My name is Trip Robbins. I'm a member of the SPRC and a teacher at Menlo School in Northern California, where I advise a variety of student publications. Our goal in each episode of the podcast is to focus on one aspect of student press freedom and bring you an interview on that topic. Today, we're going to look at political endorsements in student publications. We'll discuss the ethical considerations and some practical aspects of having a student newspaper endorsing candidates for everything from student government to president of the United States. I think it's fair to say that most student newspapers publish opinion pieces, whether they be editorials by a single editor or a group or a single writer's op-ed or column. Some of these get into various political issues, and some involve endorsing a candidate or question on the ballot. Most student newspaper advisors support student opinion pieces. The critical thought and research that are involved in a good op-ed make for a really good learning experience. Knowing that school community, and if it's online, potentially the world, will be looking at their writing, gives students an authentic audience like little else in school. But some people in journalism feel that when a news publication puts out opinions about politics, especially if it's an endorsement, it will weaken their credibility as nonpartisan voices on issues. While op-eds of various sorts have a long tradition in both professional and student journalism, in today's highly partisan culture where misinformation comes at us like a fire hose, it's worth looking at the pros and cons of this tradition. As a side note, it's worth mentioning that we're recording this in October of 2020, in the midst of what is arguably the most heated election season in 50 years. For this episode, I'm talking with Clay Lambert from my local newspaper, the award-winning Half Moon Bay Review in Half Moon Bay, California. Hi, Clay, and thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about what you do? I'm the editorial director of the Coastside News Group, which owns two newspapers in San Mateo County, the Half Moon Bay Review and the Pacifica Tribune. The Coastside News Group and the Half Moon Bay Review are a little unique in that they are owned by, how would you describe it, Clay? Well, they're owned by uh, local people who care about journalism and think that it's important to the community. Uh, And they say, basically have saved two newspapers from either oblivion or the, the clutches of private equity firms that care about money more than community. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really cool story in my humble opinion. I wanted to talk to you for the podcast because the review endorses political candidates and there's some debate among journalists, as I'm sure you're aware, about whether that's a good idea and when and how and why to do it. It's my understanding that the review uh, only does endorsements for local candidates. 
that accurate? Yeah, that's that's correct. And so the, the theory is that there are plenty of places to find informed and uninformed opinions about who to run for president and to a lesser degree who to, who to vote for for Senate and other things that are beyond our reach. And part of it just has to do with, um, you know, what we're what we're capable of and what we feel like we can be the experts on. And and um, and some of that stuff is just more than we can get to. So we, we start as local as possible and just kind of go out with concentric circles after that. That makes a lot of sense. Let me just dive right in as the devil's advocate. You spend 364 days a year convincing your readership that you are honest brokers of information. And then you publish things that say, this is the political candidate that you should vote for and so forth. Do you see a contradiction there? Um, no, because, you know, 365 days a year, we do publish uh, editorial pages and we publish opinions all the time every week. And we're commonly uh, rough on local elected officials and also praise local elected officials. So it's a con it's a continuation of that. And it's a tradition that goes back to the beginning of American newspapers. Um, I think it, it becomes a little, it feels, uh, it, it feels like a conflict because of the digital uh, media environment where it all kind of runs together. And if you, if you go to many even very reputable online sites, it can be hard to d differentiate between opinion and news. But I think less so in our newspaper, it's very clearly understood where the opinion page is. I, I know as a reader of the review that uh, there are a lot of people with strong and um, diverse opinions, and there are a lot who, let's just call them haters, who you know have a lot to say online and uh, sometimes in letters to the editor. You don't think that there's that you're losing any credibility with um, any of your audience by endorsing certain candidates? Um, maybe, you know, as, as to whether it um, upsets a portion of the audience, I'm sure that it does, but that's the, that what is a newspaper without some guts, you know, and, and we try to make informed choices and we try to back them up and we uh, never do so without talking to all the candidates. And uh, I'm fairly certain the candidates themselves actually feel pretty good about the process, whether they win or not. And we, I'm always very careful to thank them for their public service and to say that it's a lot easier to do what I do than to do what they do. And um, I think they appreciate that somebody's putting in the time to, to, to help lead voters around, even if, even if they don't ultimately win our endorsement. And we, you know, it's not, if you read our endorsements, they're, Rarely, if ever, uh, any sort of hate-filled hate -filled screed. It's almost always, uh, you know, we appreciate what they've done. However, in this case, X is what we think. So um, we try to be more civil, partly because these are the people you see at Safeway every day. It's not um, not some Washington Paul that, that you don't have to worry about running into around town. Hmm. Can you tell me about the process of how you come to decide on the endorsements? 
Yeah, that's uh, something that um, we think about each time, although the process really hasn't changed since I've been there. Um, for, for our purposes, the editorial board has always been myself and the publisher. Now, keep in mind, we have all of five people in the newsroom. We do keep um, the news reporters separate from the endorsement process. The people who cover the city council aren't involved in the endorsement. Hmm. They, for instance, for the Jimenez endorsement, um, we did it virtually given the times. And it was, it was he, uh, the publisher, myself, and, and the reporter who covers city council sat in on the, on the meeting, but literally doesn't say a word. She's there for her own edification. If he were to say something incredibly newsworthy, she would call him up afterwards and ask about it. But it's just essentially a conversation between three of us. Um, you know, you might say, well, what if, what if Deb and I disagree? And that's obviously happened. And then we talk it through. And then we sort of see who's who's more persuasive about who they who they think we ought to endorse. And Deb is the publisher. Yeah, and we've thought about making that public and videotaping those, and some newspapers do. My feeling is it just changes the dynamic. It's not it's not wrong to do that, I don't think. But then we then then you'd have people playing to the camera. For instance, we uh, talked to one um, candidate the other day, and she wanted to start with her opening statement, which she read and she got halfway into it. And I said, you know what, let's just stop. You know, if you want to send that to me, that's great. Uh, there's no point in, this isn't a campaign thing. This is a conversation. So I guess that's why we do what we do. And we uh, took part in a, a couple of forums this time to sort of be more pu public facing things, which are, you know, s similar without our opinion thrown in. So, um, that's the way that we do it, the way that we do it. And, you know, the other thing I guess that's changed is um, with vote by mail, we try to do it as early as possible. Used to be we could do it right up till election day, but now most people have voted by November. So, yeah, that is that is that's very interesting that you chose not to do recordings. Um, I can completely understand how that would change the dynamic, just like how things in Congress changed when they put cameras um, in in uh, the room. Um, uh, it, sort of side note, um, I I'm I have a pet peeve. I'm one of those journalism people who think, and this really started in 2016 with everything that happened. You know, I really do believe that idea that for a news organization in these times to be taken as credible, reliable, honest editorials, even editorials uh, like a any sort of political editorial. And, uh, you know, I haven't drilled down too far in what the limits of I would what I would consider that do sort of cast doubts on your credibility that people are going to be like, well, I mean, I mean, look at the New York Times, look at their opinion section, look at the Wall Street Journal, look at their opinion section, that kind of tells you something. I mean, could it be a coincidence that, you know, the editorial leans the way it does and the news leans the way it does? Um, I, think, I think that's true, Tripp, but um, if I think a, a critical reader of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times would, would have to admit that the news sections cut it pretty well down the the middle, and they they um, are not filled with opinion. Now the problem comes when people don't 
do a critical read and just, you know, see what somebody posted on Facebook. And can you believe that this is, you know, this is this is the New York Times for you. And the only thing they see is an opinion piece and they associate that with the entire New York Times or uh, they get all their news from any one of the cable stations that uh, are all opinion all the time. And they, there's no um, uh, differentiation in their own heads. But I think the credible, those two credible news organizations you mentioned, I think do a pretty good job of separating those things 99% of the time. I, I mean, I think it was interesting that both of them have had disputes in the last year between the news section and the editorial section. And that's been interesting. And I, I guess where I see it, like you mentioned social media and a single post, but go to the New York Times website and on the, you know, in your browser, if you're looking at it like on a computer where you have, have enough up at once, you're going to see a bunch of opinion mm -hmm. stuff that's, you know, nine out of 10 is left leaning. Um, and I think that's the same. I usually look at the Wall Street Journal on my phone, but I think it's the same there. This is sort of a tangential conversation to what we're talking about, but I just wanted to put my cards on the table. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to make clear that I made use of the reviews, endorsements, and explanations. And it wasn't, and this is important, it, your endorsements aren't as simple, we endorse this candidate, we endorse this candidate, we endorse this candidate. There are explanations about why you endorse those candidates. And I, you know, that's obviously, that's incredibly important. It would be a different, it, it would be a political move to just say, you should vote for this person, this person, this person, as opposed to informing people and giving them reasons and things to think about and make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yeah. I mean, to, to, I do the same thing. So I live in Palo Alto. And if it weren't for the Palo Alto Weekly, I would have a very difficult time voting on local issues because as somebody who considers himself fairly well informed on these things, uh, I don't have the time or energy to uh, to research all the school board candidates and all the city council candidates in Palo Alto. Uh, I, I trust that the weekly does follow those things very closely, and their their ex, their explanations make a lot of sense to me when I when I read through them. Um, the other thing about endorsements and credibility is um, part of the reason an endorsement feels like. Uh, less credible or the putting credibility on the line is because other organizations make endorsements and put their credibility on the line all the time. Like, you know, invariably a local candidate will have 30 endorsements, uh, various polit political people in town or the local democratic club or whatever it is. And those are all politically done. I mean, they have meetings and they talk about what, whatever, but, you know, there's a reason why this state senator endorses this person. And oftentimes it has little to do with the qualifications at hand. It has to do with wider political things going on. And so that sort of sullies what in a newspaper endorsement is, because people think, well, that's just the way endorsements are. It's a, you know, you shake my hand, I'll shake your hand kind of agreement. And uh, I can tell you, it's never been that way for us, but I'm aware that it is for many other people who make endorsements. That reminds me of another question. Here in California, we have a lot of uh, voter propositions, um, things that get put onto ballots for voters to vote on. 
um, measures and such uh, at the local and state level. Do you weigh in on those? Only the local measure. Um, there, there's only one in Half Moon Bay at the moment, and we will try to lead folks through our thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, there's all the propositions statewide. Um, we could, I could certainly make the argument for doing so and maybe how each one would affect um, the local economy or whatever. And maybe some are more suitable than others. Uh, this, this election season was just really challenging for us uh, due to a lot of sort of internal things that were going on due to the coronavirus, um, due to the, the, the sheer number of things on the ballot. So we, we just didn't get to everything we, we might have. But normally we don't tackle state things because there are other resources readers can go to. Whereas if you want to know about the candidates for the Montero Water and Sanitary District, there's not a lot of places to go. So we sort of feel like that's part, that's part of our charge is to help people through that. You've been around a while. So um, I worked at a, I'm, try, I'm trying to decide whether I should name it. I interned at a local paper in a, mm, uh, well, I, I can't even name it because there's only one paper there. Um, but when I was, I guess in college, I interned at a local paper and the mayor and, you know, a lot of the, you know, local power brokers would come through and bring donuts and chat up the editors and things. And I don't, I don't know if there was anything, you know, any back scratching going on, but would you, would you agree that that does happen some places, some in America? Uh, sure. I, I'm positive that happens some places. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't happen at our place so much anymore for a variety of reasons. It probably happened a lot in the '50s and '60s and '70s, partly because the because the local newspaper was was simply more important in the media environment, and people would take the time. You know, now with uh, various social media channels. Um, a lot of politicians just don't feel the need to blow $20 on donuts for the news staff anymore, probably. Um, and there was a little of that when I first got to the review. And I think I came from sort of bigger regional newspapers that probably had a more hands-off kind of separation of church and state kind of thing going. And I probably put the kibots on it a little bit. Okay. The last real section is like your thoughts about how student journalists writing for school newspapers, how does that change the equation as far as political endorsements go? I would adhere to the same rule. I would, I would talk about the things that you know. And, and I, if it were me and I was the editor of a high school newspaper, I would only endorse perhaps um, student council kind of things, student government, because where else are your readers going to get an informed opinion on that stuff? Uh, nobody cares who you're voting for president. There's plenty of places to find that out. Um, I would, I would stick to what, you know, I would also, the other thing that I learned the hard way and pretty much everybody I know who came up in college journalism learned the hard way is to avoid uh, snark as much as possible. Um, not to try to be smarter than everyone else, but just to try to, to try to be, um, lay things out in a, in a factual, even handed manner that doesn't make you seem like a jerk. 
<laughs> Don't be a jerk. That's a good policy. You really perked my ears up when you talked about endorsing student council candidates. I hadn't, I hadn't even considered that. And I've, I've never heard of it, but I'm sure there are student papers that do it at the paper I advise. They don't do any endorsements. Um, but I know like in Palo Alto, some of their high school publications do endorsements for local political stuff. And partly, I think that's because some of their students are old enough to vote. But I also wonder, I wonder if they're hoping to convince anybody beyond that. That's a good question. Why wouldn't they endorse student government candidates? Well, I bet that my students would say, well, maybe they wouldn't say it, but I think they might feel that they wouldn't want to step on anybody's toes or hurt anybody's feelings, really, um, which is not the boldest perspective. <laughs> it's understandable. It's a different environment, school, than uh, high school, than where, where, where I work in. So I understand. That, that would be difficult. I mean, we certainly did in college, we weren't, but that was also different than high school. Oh, one, one little thing that I read a comment from a journalist somewhere uh, in preparing to talk to you who said that he looks at it, he looks at political endorsements as a form of transparency and being honest about their, I don't think he used the word biases, but points of view or perspectives or, you know, where they're coming from, which I would call biases, um, that by if they didn't do that, he would feel like they were keeping their cards really close to their chest. Any thoughts on that? Um, I haven't thought about it in just that way, but um, I, see the, I, I see what he's saying. I was once told by a wise editor that readers don't keep clips and they don't <laughs> remember who you endorsed or, you know, they're too busy trying to get dinner on the table to be overly concerned about some of these esoteric things that we think they're concerned about sometimes. So, um, I, you know, I think that makes a little bit of sense. Okay. That makes me wonder about, this is kind of related to the readers don't have a lot of time point. Do you think it's important to educate your readers about your separation between news and editorial? Do you do anything to let them know that it's not all just one person doing all of it? Um, no, I mean, maybe, maybe we should. Um, um, we don't, I think it's maybe because, um, I feel like our readers understand the difference when, you know, you were describing the New York times or the wall street journal website. And there's, you know, the first things you see at the top of the page are opinion things. That's not the case for our website or for our newspaper. You know, you go to a page with, you know, 50 point type that says opinion. And I'm not quite sure how to, how to, uh, how to inform people. I feel like people who you'd have to sort of be purposefully obtuse not to understand the, the difference, I guess. Um, but, you, you know, not that we couldn't. I guess there's a lot of things that we could do. <laughs> do you think like even in the age of social media and Fox News, who, you know, I would say 
at least say they're pretty casual about the line between news and editorial. Like, I, th I just feel like a lot of the public doesn't know that. They don't get it. Maybe 72 point would help. Well, yeah. Maybe, um, part of it is every American used to get a newspaper on their front stoop and they understood these things sort of generationally. I mean, they they knew what a newspaper was and you knew what an opinion page was and um, that's what you, what you had. And now so few do and they predominantly get their media or their their news from social media or TV and, and those places have just blurred the lines um, to a point that may be sort of irrecoverable. And, um, you know, so what are, what are we to do? I mean, to the, ex to the extent that I, I tried to explain it would probably feel like uh, I was making excuses and rationales to the people who don't want to see it that way. And um, so you know, I should say, too, all of this is evolving. I mean, by the next election cycle, who knows? Maybe we decide, you know what, that uh, it's not worth the hassle. Uh, we've gotten negative feedback, you know, whatever it is. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think the I don't think the Pacifica Tribune has been endorsing candidates, not that I've noticed. And if we start doing that next time, we'll see what people yeah. say about it, whether they appreciate it or think it's a terrible idea. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, isn't you know better than me um how it is constant you know the, the the business is constantly evolving and there's there isn't a lot of rock to put your feet on what would you say are the rocks that you put your feet on as you continue to do journalism in 2020 well uh <clears throat> we try to be um try to treat the truth as an absolute and try to correct our errors and um, tell people when we've made mistakes and uh, we try to be ambitious um, and uh, we, we, we try not to shy away from things that uh, would be easier to shy away from. Anything else you think you want to add? No, this was great. No, I really appreciate it. I did, there was one other thing that I did in my little notes here is that I almost wish there was another word for it rather than endorsement and i'm not sure what it is like rather than saying the review suggests you vote for x uh we have talked to the candidates and here's what we have found and maybe by virtue of reading them reading through it people would come to the same conclusion that we would have without actually saying it i guess that's one idea that we could do um but maybe, maybe that's just semantics well, words matter, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I spend a lot of time teaching students, you know, the difference between two nuanced words are important. And on the other time, I mean, on the other hand, I think people believe what they want to believe. <laughs> um, so, okay. Clay, thanks for talking with me. I really appreciate your taking the time out of your day. Pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate getting the opportunity. Thank you. Again, I want to thank Clay Lambert for sharing his experience and perspective. He left us with a lot to think about. If you want to find out more about the topic, a quick internet search about political endorsements in journalism was fruitful for me, and I really recommend it. The Society of Professional Journalists has some helpful position papers on their website at spj.org. 
And you can find more from the Scholastic Press Rights Committee at jeasprc.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, student voices matter. <laughs>